1: you know there's a passage in the book where the character says you know when you when you, you start falling out of love with life people start falling out of love with you you know and and you know that's it's real
0: Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Male Friendship, Depression, and Grief with our guest, Andrew Cotto. Andrew is an award-winning author of six novels and a novella, Pasta Mike, which we'll be talking about in depth today. A two-time recipient of the Reader's Favorite Award, Andrew's work has been championed by Publishers Weekly, The Brooklyn Rail, Book list, the Mother Daughter Book Club, Mystery Scene Magazine, Raven Crying Reads, and much more. As a journalist, Andrew's a regular contributor to the New York Times, La Cusina Italiana, Brooklyn Magazine, The Good Men Project, and Rachel Ray in Season. He has also written for Parade Men's Journal, Rolling Stone, and numerous edible publications, an avid Italophile. Andrew adores all things Italy, especially the food and wine. He also loves book club appearances. Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Dr. Dan.
0: So, I've got all these questions, of course, laid out and things I, I want to so. think about. Um, but I have to say, after finishing Pasta Mike last night, uh, the first thing I want to say is uh, how sorry I am for your profound loss. Thank you. I, I appreciate that very much. And, and I get choked up even, uh, as you can see. Like I just even... Um, Saying that to you. Uh, how do you think I feel? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, let's go there. Tell, sure. Tell us about how you feel. Um,
1: I, I feel, you know, you know, for context purposes, right, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to this, but this character of Mike in, in my story, it, it, it's a work of fiction. It's a novella. Um, but it's it's as true to life as it gets. If it's made into a movie, it would be be based on a true story, right? Um, and the true story is very true. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this, this character, Michael Shea and I, um, were born five days apart, living five houses apart from each other. Um, we were baptized together. You know, we spent our entire childhoods, adolescence, and adult lives. You know, you know, as, as the closest of friends. Um, he died of leukemia. Um, eight years ago um, and it, it was it was devastating to me I mean I mean you know it, it still is devastating to me in a way you know because it, it's just so hard to get used to a presence that you were that you know intertwined with no longer being there you know, mm-hmm. I think the mm-hmm. analogy I make in the book is like if someone loses like a limb you know, they, mm-hmm. and they keep looking for that spot. They keep feeling like that ghost pain or that ghost presence right. of that limb. And yeah. then that, that's the way it is with my friend. And it's more so with him than any other loss I've experienced, including the loss of my own mother, you know, was who, mm-hmm. probably the second person in the world who knew me the best. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just it's, I think there's something really unique about losing a friend, I think, particularly for men.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that was part of the dilemma of the character um, Great is, right is, is it's just a friend. It's not my mom, you know, Great. and how, how does that, you know, these, these, um, these internal paradigms or rules we put on ourselves for how we should feel, how that impacts us.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was sort of the, the, the key to, me unpacking what i was going through and really what i wanted to share in the book i mean, mm-hmm. I, mean I really didn't want to share it you know it, it, it was quite painful yeah. but also felt compelled um to do so because i, I imagine it's something that that lots of that lots of men wrestle with right is coming to sort of grips with this sort of agony we're experiencing and then how to address it Um so you know for, and it was like just a friend type that that sort of excuse I was making, or that 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 logic I was applying to it, you know, really was a misnomer. In that it wasn't just a friend; it was a friend, right? and, mm-hmm. and friends are wildly important to to uh, to men. I think obviously they're mm-hmm. important to women too, and mm-hmm. to everyone, however, no matter right. how they identify. I, mean, right. I I I get the value in friendship. I think it, it's particularly valuable for men because we don't recognize that necessarily on the surface, right. but we internalize it. We do. Like we we know. Mm-hmm. You no, know, I don't. Not just thinking about Mike, but I think uh, friends in general, you know, you know, are people that we are allowed to let our guard down in front of. We don't, we don't Mm -hmm. need to have that that facade that that men carry around with them. That you know, that mask we tend to wear in public. You know, a a mask of you know some aspect of masculinity. Mm -hmm. When you're with your friends and you're close, you become friend friends, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you you are able just to relax, right, and and, and, and bear your souls and share your secrets and just just be yourself in a way that you can't be with. Your spouse, or your parents, or your siblings, etc. I think there's, there's more of a, of of a of a image regarding in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. When we're with other men, I believe that we we no longer need to do that, and
0: therein lies the the, the immense value. Mm-hmm. And the value, and also, you know, I think the lack of awareness for us men in relationship in the sense that you know it talk you know you went to the ball game you know you had some beers you play softball you like you went through your chat you know you build forts you have rock fights you do these things but you weren't the character and you were not aware of the profound connection and friendship almost you know until it was gone
1: yeah and, and I, I like to think that i i knew it was a special friendship and we were mm-hmm. we you know we, we, we acknowledged our our love for each other all the time every photograph i have of us you know mm-hmm. we, we have our arms around each other there's even yeah. somewhere I'm, I'm planting a kiss on his face you know just yeah. jokingly right you know so I, I, everybody knew that we were special friends and we knew that we were special friends i just didn't realize you know you know how deep it went and i think your point is really well taken in that it has to do with experiences you know we don't talk on the phone we don't write to the letters right we do things together i think by doing those things you know mm-hmm. there's a there's an element of connection that that is unique you know
0: and mm-hmm. especially when those
1: things are adventurous you know or 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 are sort of involved in the coming of age passage etc you know you going through all these things together you know are, are really you know are, are quite bonding mm-hmm. um i like to sort of think of it in, you know those terms of you know, the, the Malcolm Gladwell theory about excellence coming from, you know, 10,000 hours of practice, you know, and I think, you know, mm-hmm. a certain amount of hours of spent in someone else's company right you know mm-hmm. it, it, it creates like I, I felt like you know in, my, in the case of me, um, me and mike you know that that um we spend so much time with each other that that that, that our, our dna merged you know? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah no it, yeah. i mean i swear I, I could i knew what he was going to say before he said it and then the same mm-hmm. thing would happen he'd give me i'd be somewhere you know he'd give me a look across the room as him being like don't say that andy Don't." Yeah. <laughs> he knows what i'm gonna do and it yeah. was it was crazy you know it it, yeah. it, it was so Besides just being, you know, unique, it was so comforting. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you do you think um, men, as a whole, and this is a grand statement, are becoming more comfortable with sharing, you know, sharing feelings, sharing experience, and more than experience, right? Like just sharing about oneself, getting below the surface.
1: Um. I'm not sure i mean I, I i i know you know what you're alluding to, mean there's certainly more attention being paid to men's sensitivity and men expressing themselves um, but I also feel like men aren't you know as you know maybe grown men perhaps i, I was thinking you know immediately of like young men where this is sort of developed you know like, like i I think young men now just don't have as many friends as they used to have. Their lives are, are, are so much different than, than, than my generations. You know, we you know, we grew up adventuring for lack of a better term, you right. know, of right. going out and doing things, you know, and, 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 you know, um, and, and, you know, just playing hours and hours and hours and hours of pickup basketball and cetera, you know, and, and I don't think that they spend as much as, as as much time in each other's company. And certainly that company is more select as far mm-hmm. as grown men go. I guess I don't know it's, it's hard yeah. to really tell if if, if you know, I know the emphasis is out there I don't know if
0: it's working yeah that's uh, I agree with that and um, there's the whole co- concept of toxic masculinity that is talked about a lot and you know all the parts of quote being a man um, that aren't good for the man or good for those they're in relationship with and um you know I think we just have to keep getting the message out i mean there's a, there's a reason. Um, it, one of the reasons it's thought that women as a, as a subspecies live longer than men is because of their relationships and their ability to express to each other. And, um, it would do us men well to seek that as in our own lives. Agreed. I, I, I agree that's why women live longer for,
1: and, and other reasons too. Um, they're, I think they probably treat their bodies better than we treat ours, um, in many ways, so I think there's a the spiritual, emotional side, and the physical side. Um, but yeah, I, I, back to your point about you know, you know toxic masculinity. I, I think there's also you know a, a muzzle on, on men these days too. Like you know, don't say the wrong thing, right? or or you know, you know, uh, you know, be careful with how you express yourself. Because if you, if you're expressing yourself like what you're being encouraged to do, you might s- step in the wrong. Pile, right? mm-hmm. and then, then, mm-hmm. and then you're in bigger trouble. So it's it, mm-hmm. it's 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 a diff- It's an interesting time for men, you know, mm-hmm. um, in, in in the public sphere at least, you know, about what we what what is acceptable, what is not, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly come across plenty of men who I, I feel like you know are, are living twenty years ago with the way they yeah. you know, the language they use and the way they behave. I also mm-hmm. see men who are so careful, right, you know, and so sensitive about you know you know the impression that they might give and the way they speak that that that, that they're no fun to hang out with.
0: Yeah, yeah. That even happens in New York, huh? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? Yeah. I mean, not with my friends, but yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> grief. Oof. Yeah. Um, you've described grief um, through the character in your book, um, and it was painful. Like it was, it was it was painful. I also have to say, um, I completely lost sight that it was a novella as I was reading it. Like I was, I was, I was, this was, it was real, totally real. Um, that was you, uh, Mike was Mike in all the details. And, um, the grief was real. The pain was real. Like, how do you put words? I mean, you did in the book, but it's also the question is like, how, can you put words to that feeling? Well, I guess if if I wasn't
1: a writer, I, I would have had a harder time with it. And even though I am a writer, I you know you know it was it was really difficult. And I, I was you know part of what I alluded to before about feeling sort of compelled to tell the story was I know that it's not easy to put words to these things. It's not easy for, for, for people, and I think men in particular, to explain what this feels like. So you know, part of my motivation was was, was being you know you know a, a conscious contributor to, you know, the awareness part. So, you know, I I sort of fought through the difficulties of it um, and, you know, tried to be as articulate as possible about it, but also as relatable. I I didn't want to, you know, over-intellectualize it or or, or try and get too poetic about it. I just wanted to explain what it felt like, you know, instead of Mm -hmm. just, you know, you know, sort of, you know, I wanted to show the character of Andy, you know, um, really suffering um, yeah, and you know, I it, it it was hard to do, but it was also it was, it was it's a lot easier than living it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, is is that sidebar here? Is that was there ever a time that you thought about doing uh, a memoir as opposed to fiction? Yeah, the original concept actually was a memoir. I was going to
1: mm-hmm. call it Mike O'Shea, a memoir. And I mm-hmm. thought that would have been such a great catchy title, like a, a memoir about someone else. Um, yeah. And it was going to be about our friendships. And, I, and that's what I began to do. And it was just too overwhelming from a content standpoint. I mean, you know, yeah, memoir yeah. is a form of biography. And I'd have to cover both of our lives, you know, and be true to his family and his siblings and his loved ones and his. Girlfriends and his wife and his children and you know his friends growing up and etc 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 and at the same time being true to mine and I, I just found it overwhelming especially because Mike yeah. is a really enormous figure I and mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if I was able to convey that but you like, were you, know, you were yeah he he he's a special human being who knew mm-hmm. you know in in real life you know two thousand people came to his wake I mean he was he yeah. was a hero you know um, and so I I just didn't feel I was up to the task yeah. of truly you know, reflecting on his life. So what I did, and this device hit me in the middle of the night, it, it changed you know, this whole project because mm-hmm. I was struggling, um, yeah. was to just take me and him, the two I care about most in his book, and yeah. take us out of our real lives and plunk us down um, somewhere fictional. So I did that. So I, I lifted us from our actual hometown of Glen Rock, New Jersey, which is in Bergen County, just over the George Washington Bridge, and dropped us down in a neighborhood in Queens, which is pretty similar, you
0: know, demographically. Mm-hmm yeah i had you i had you in Queens and Brooklyn you're in my head there so i um, yeah. yeah with the with with the, the fiction you could you could you didn't have to yeah that would be completely overwhelming to think about everything that you said i you know did you know what grief was no i you know
1: i I've been saving this beef for a long time, but you know, one of the things that you know, my complaints with adulthood in general is that. I don't think we're we're prepared enough for the big things in life, even the the, the joyous things like, you know, oh, you're getting married. How wonderful. You're going to love being married. It's the best thing in the world. You'll be partners forever. And no one tells you how hard it is. Oh, you're going to have a kid. Oh, you're going to love parenting. You're going to be the best dad. You're going to be so good. And no one told you how hard it's going to be death you know people you know i i don't understand why we don't all get like you know you know youtube channels dedicated to teaching us about death or something because it, it's so hard to deal with you know as i mentioned before you know and i would say loss in general but death in particular you know i my mother died a few years for mike you know and and you know i'd once written that the two people in the world who knew me the best and loved me regardless were my mother and mike you know they're my two favorite people um, and and when she died, it was really hard, you know, and, I, and she died too young for sure. Um, but she was in her, you know, she was in her seventies. Mm-hmm. But uh, my concern was with my dad. You know, my, my, my feelings about her death were really wondering how my dad was going to get through it because they were so close, you know. Um, and you know, I I, and I experienced some grief, but it it, it was sort of like I, I was occupied, you know. Um, when when Mike passed, you know, it, it it was a different sort of experience. Like I just couldn't hide from it. You know, and, you know, for me, as I mentioned in the book, you know, it, it is, you know, that relentlessness of the memory, you know, you know, how many times a day, you know, I would think about Mike, you know, and every time I thought about him, it just bummed me out. You know, that's that's, that's a yeah. kind way of saying, Understatement, it, right? you, yeah. know, you know, yeah. Um, and, and it just wouldn't go away. You know, I mm-hmm. just, you know, it just kept coming back and then, you know there's a watershed moment in the book where the character gets some really good news, right. And the character mm-hmm. of Andy and he, mm-hmm. you know, he instinctively reaches for his phone to call Mike and rings him up, you know, and sees his name on the, on the, on the ringer you know, and, 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 you know, collapses, you know, mm-hmm. something, something similar to that happened to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll share that anecdote with you, but yeah. um, you know, it, it's better in the, in the fictionalized version, yeah. but you know, the, 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 that part of the grief, you know, that and, and, you know, my complaint, Again, about you know not being prepared for it, is that you get all this you know advice when something like this happens from people like, oh, you'll get used to it. You'll go through these phases of grief. And then you'll you'll live. You'll learn to live. You know, um, and there'll be a new normal and all these you know all these sort of you know, colloquialisms um, that are thrown at you. And and I I, I just want Bang my head against the wall and people would take me aside. Because I'm like, no it's, I, I'm not seeing it like this you know, you, know I mean, you can tell me that I'll get used to the new normal you know but like <laughs> really when
0: what what would have been helpful to know if you were prepared you know so, so if you were prepared and how we can be prepared ourselves and then prepare, prepare our children for life I, I would not
1: undersell it. I, I would say this is going to be brutal right mm-hmm. it, It's going to hurt it's going to hurt a lot. I mean, it's not going to be okay, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it might be. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, a pessimist about this, you know, or a mm-hmm. fatalist about it. But I, I think more of an emphasis on the challenge of it, as opposed to underemphasizing the challenge, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and putting it into like you know cliche and 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 throwaway phrases would be really helpful. Mm-hmm. I also think that you know, you know, I, I think that you know, when someone passes away, who's you know, you know, at a certain level of closeness to you. That, that there should be therapy available, you know, yeah. that should be part of our yeah. healthcare program, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I guess me as Mike's family had to write like a, like a request, you know, but you know, like, yeah. I, I think immediate family, et cetera, it just should be part mm-hmm. of it. I mean, right. you know, my, one of the reasons my dad was so successful in working his way through the loss of my mother, his wife, you know, 50 years plus, um, was that he, he went to counseling groups, you know, and yeah. it was like, it wasn't yeah. even like a choice. I mean, he had a choice, but, and he sat around in a room with a bunch mm-hmm. of people who've gone through the same thing, right? He had a right. one-on-one guy who helped him, you know, this guy, yeah. I think it was Mel or something, you know, yeah. um, who like said, this is what happened to me. And then people in the group were helping him, and there was professionals around too. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that should be, you know, you can't make it mandatory, of course, but it should be available.
0: Right. For, yeah, and um, normal. Right, like uh, typical, just a thing that thing that you do. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, and I I don't want to just uh, highlight what you said for the listeners is when it comes to grief. um, Group work is so powerful. Of course, individual work for anything is helpful. Group work is so powerful to see that you are not alone in your pain and to be able to process with others who are going through it and support one another is 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 healing. Not easy, but healing.
1: It's a really good point, and that, that was one of the things that really sort of wrecked me. Was that I really did feel so alone. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to bother his wife and mm-hmm. his children and his siblings. You know, they, I thought they had their own thing going on; they were a separate entity. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought they were obviously more, you know, you know, in, in need of that thing or worthy of it. I guess I don't know, you know. But like, you know, the the, the feeling, the, the isolation was compounded by the fact that the person I would have gone to mm-hmm. to talk about these things with
0: was the one who was missing. Right. Right. What, what, from your experience, would you say is the crossover or the difference between grief and depression? And if you feel there's a distinction, do you know, did you know when it happened?
1: I, I, I think the depression comes in when the grief just becomes so. Unrelenting. So I, I don't. I don't know. If there's a crossover. I think there's probably um, uh, a symbiosis between them. Mm-hmm. You know, where I, I, I got depressed by the fact that I kept feeling grief and it wasn't going away, and it was. It was. It was changing who I was. You know, in the book, the character says that you know he could feel himself start to become less. Mm-hmm. Right? And you know that is certainly something that that I, I became aware of, and that really bummed me out too i'm using good language right. for a family show here yeah. Um, yeah. but you know it, it 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 became so exhausting i i think that I i i'm speaking as someone who only has their own experience and no training in in in, in, in mental health but i feel like depression is, is sort of a form of exhaustion with mm-hmm. sorrow mm-hmm. and coping
0: yeah and, and um you know, there's been a lot of talk about it just within the field of psychology and with the, in the diagnostic labels and diagnostic manual is, you know, how long is, you know, pathologizing grief, first of all, one is to have it actually be a diagnosis when many people like it's a natural occurrence to losing someone you love and care about. Is that right. actually a medical diagnosis? So there's, there's that whole aspect. Um, and then timelines, you know, like there is no timeline for grief. Um, people grieve differently. Some people don't shed a tear until a year later when their cat dies and they can't get off the floor. You know, I mean, there's so many different ways, um, that this happens. And then depression, the thought of depression, as you're saying, it's just, it's more and it's too much. And then you have all of those really grief symptoms, maybe on steroids, Mm um, right it's like it there's similar symptoms you do, like you don't have pleasure your um your mood is low you have trouble concentrating you might have sleep and appetite problems um even depressive thoughts um that mm-hmm. happens all in grief and that those are the symptoms of depression
1: yeah i mean they 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 certainly work together you know and yeah. you know um you know but i, I understand you know obviously you have to have grief first, right? Um, But, you know, differentiating them, Mm -hmm. I
0: I don't even know why. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the way in my, uh, my psychology cap, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I'm thinking like, why? My psychology cap, trying to help people understand and be aware of how they're feeling and what would be a natural way to feel and then i think here it is andrew and then when does that natural way of feeling become just too much and you're now you're in a whole nother place and you know as you said getting help would have been helpful
1: yeah i mean i i I don't think there's any other solution i mean you Mm -hmm. what there's no other way around it i believe then help. So I think if you keep trying to work your way through it on your own, which I did, right, mm-hmm. it just compounds, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, eventually it subsides. Cause I don't think you can, you can, you can, you know, um, you know, attend the, 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 the requisite energy to it, you know, eternally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you know, this, this process for me was, was years and years and years. And I, I'm absolutely of the belief that that could have been, you know, uh, attended to earlier in this period and been of much greater benefit to me mm-hmm. and those around me. I mean, this is, you don't, yeah, you, 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 right. you suffer alone, but you, you don't suffer in isolation. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, there's a passage in the book where the character says, you know, when you, when you, you start falling out of love with life, people start falling out of love with you. Mm-hmm. no and and
0: you know that's it's real and 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 you described that impact well um thank you in, in the book um with uh, andy's family did you end up going to therapy no, I
1: I, 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 didn't, you know, and and wow. believe me, I wish I had, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I advocate for therapy, you know, I, I taught as a professor for fifteen years, and my students, you know, millennials at first, and then Gen Z were very open about mental health, etc., and I, I always tried to be as open with them as possible, and said like, you know, we, why don't we all have therapists, and we all have. Medical doctors, right? Some guys check up my Mm -hmm. cholesterol every other year or whatever, you know, um, and my blood pressure. Why isn't someone checking in on my mental health? I was trying to, you know, help them understand, you know, how how not just normal it should be, but how necessary it is. And Mm -hmm. then I'm a hypocrite because I was in such a situation. And I just, my rationale, I think... Is is partially rooted in the the, the, age, the age old practice of men not getting help, or people in general, women men in particular. Right. You know, how do I go about getting a therapist? I what, what do I do? Right, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and then just my denial about you know what it what I was enduring, in, and you know, it, it it's a it's a massive regret of mine because I'm pretty sure my life would have ended up differently.
0: Mm. As you say, it's such common sense. You know, we go to our annual physical. Like, how about an annual wellness mental health checkup? Like, one a year. That thir- should be 30, weekly. For good annual, yeah, I mean, it should yeah, be yeah, weekly. Yeah. You know? yeah, I'm just, you know, like, what's possible in the insurance system? Like, one half-hour appointment a year. Come on. Something. I know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they'd never get me off the couch. It was only once a year, but yes, I mean, I mean, I can't believe that we don't we don't we don't build this into the program because it, it would affect our physical health in such a way. If I'm an insurance company, I'd want people getting therapy. Yeah. It's going to keep them out of the the MD's office.
0: Right, right, right. Um. Also, Andy, um, you know, Andy was dealing the best way that Andy could deal. I mean, Andy was having uh, medicinal, medicinal martinis, right? As yeah. a way, as a way to cope. And, you know, we know that drinking, um, is a common way to go numb, at least temporarily. Um, but there's a fine line between having a few drinks and then using it to cope and go numb, or maybe it's not so fine. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, i don't know i don't know how, what the contour of that line is but yeah it's definitely there and and you know it, it, it is you know, I, I i get it i mean I was, you know that that part was very true I, I was absolutely mm-hmm. you know succouring myself with with alcohol um you know the, and the medicinal martini is a nice little phrase but you know it, it's still vodka in a glass right um and i i i, I, I get it i mean I, I was always I I enjoy alcohol. I drink tons of I'm of tequila I drink tons yeah, of wine Yeah we're going to get to the know. wine part yeah exactly Oh good 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 yeah, 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 um yeah. you know and a big part of my life with Mike was us drinking together we were we were we were we were a great pair in that respect um but I I never drank you know like I did you know you know, mm-hmm. in my life, um, prior to that point, you know, where mm-hmm. it was, it was, you know, it it, it was just so consistent, and you know, and you know, it and and I get the reason; it, it made the pain go away. And then this, mm-hmm. this sounds like just like an excuse, but it right. really did, right? It, it was, it was such a, you know, such a, you know, insidious little, you know, practice. You know, I don't know who invented alcohol, you know, but you know that that mm-hmm. idea of what it does to the, the feeling we have as human beings is why it, it's it's persisted and why people drink all over the world you know besides the enjoyment the, 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 you know there's that there's that you know one shade of it where it's like woo you know let's, yep. let's do the charleston and there's another part where it's like you know it is just helping you numb Hmm.
0: Hmm. yeah did that was there a, a, an awakening with that part of your life or was it slow and gradual um yeah i, I didn't have you know i didn't crash my car into a tree or anything like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, thankfully, um, yeah. you know, and, and I think I behaved fairly responsibly for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, mm-hmm. But no, there wasn't there wasn't any sort of a lightning moment. I just, just I just got
0: tired of being tired. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Food and wine. Yes. Actually, actually, okay. I'm gonna. This is the precursor question, so we might have to hold off, or it might go straight into that. Which is, um, what. Positive coping mechanisms. Did you ultimately find exercise? I mean,
1: exercise is you know it has because of this, exercise has become a, a regular part of my routine, and I, I I care less about you know how big my biceps are, you know, I, I or how fast I can run next amount of miles. You know, it, it is that that release that comes from exercise that is such a mental benefit has such a mental benefit. I should say. I mean, I just you know, I am noticeably in a different mood after I exercise um, than before. Um, it also happens to be something that Mike was really proficient yes. in. He's huge. He's a yeah bodybuilder and a you know, a weightlifting champion. Um and you know, so he loved working out like no one yeah. I ever met. Um and so when I was when I work out I, 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 I he's with me. Yeah. He's always making me do more reps and he's always, you know, giving me a hard time and he's always encouraging me. So there's that that, that sort of uh, ability to to Join him, um, but it's also what it really most most importantly what it does to my to my head, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term.
0: And uh, I resonated with that as well when Mike was telling you in the book about it's not just about physical; it's about you know emotional and spiritual. And my running in the morning is purely for mental health. Like it's yeah. it's the the physical parts the byproduct. You know, the second feels secondary. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. And I, I I wish there was more emphasis on that because you know I mean it it, it is something we can do that everyone can do, right. Mm -hmm. If it's just walking, right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, it is is great medicine.
0: So anyone who's, um, one of the things to try to achieve when one has experienced profound grief is to find meaning again, right. And to, to be able to re-engage and to have a life after, um, this was my question. Does food and wine have anything to do with that process for you? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I, I always love food, um, and I'm a food, I'm a food writer in part. Even my novels have food in them, not mm-hmm. just Pasta Mike. I mean, actually, yeah. Pasta Mike has food in the title, but you know, there's yeah. probably more actual cooking and eating and enjoying of food in, in the, the previous books, including, especially the two that are set in Italy. Um, I'm mm-hmm. a diephile, as mentioned. I, I've always loved eating and drinking. It's been one of my favorite things in life. It's one of the things I, did, I did with Mike more than you know. We didn't play golf together well, we, on occasion, but you know, yeah, we loved yeah. to eat. That was our yeah. thing, and that's what I do with most of my my dear friends. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things to do. But you know, since this experience, my appreciation for it and and the value of it has has really um, resonated, and I've I've you know, I do believe that food and wine. You know are great sources of of wellness, of, of mental wellness, because you know you know there's there's so many components of it. But you know at the end of the day, I feel like you know when you are sitting around the table with people that you care about, you're at church. You know you're mm-hmm. communing with them, mm-hmm. and you know those are the moments when I realize that I'm the most happy. So I, I, I sought them out, and I'm, I also truly believe that eating good food. Stimulates our, our brains in ways. Mm-hmm. Stimulates our body being healthy. You know, you know. As, as people have said to me, God, you you love food so much. Why aren't you the X amount of pounds heavier? And I say because I I, I carefully choose what I eat. You know, and I mm-hmm. choose the right quantities, so I feel good too. You know, and you know, and yes, yeah, part of it's like, hey, I, I'm, I'm in good shape. Fine. You know, there's there's that sort of ego boost thing. But it, it, it's the I, I think truly there's a mental health connection between the quality of food we put in our bodies right and, and and the feeling we have you know going through our, our daily lives you know we, our digestion our moods right um our, our energy etc so you know i'm actually in the in the process of creating a proposal which i'm really late about doing um for a non-fiction book called eat drink be healthy
0: ah oh that's very cool that yeah. that 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 goes right to what i was just going to ask you when it comes to wine and health, right. And so I, in my, you know, I saw lots of pictures of you, uh, with the, the red wine, you look really good with a glass of red wine. Thank you. And, um, you know, we think of Italy and we think of the villages where people are all living over a hundred and they have wine every day. And like, what, there's so much, you know, people debate that all the time from your perspective and from what you know, how is wine healthy? And, and, how do you see drinking in that, in, that, in that context?
1: I'm not convinced that wine is healthy. I, I think that you know there's obviously what I consider to be the, the devil of all ingredients, which is sugar in wine. Um, I, I think there's probably some antioxidants in it. But I think the people who drink wine every day also happen to be the people who eat really eat really well. Mediterraneans, for example. Right? Mm. So I think the diet that comes from the land, where wine is also grown, you know, olive oil, et cetera, you know, you know, beautiful fruits and vegetables. You know, I think that's why they live to a hundred and they, they get to do so while drinking wine because they eat so well. Plus I do think that, you know, you know, that relaxation period of it, you know, you know, you know, I think wine is a, is a great way to drink without being a martini, you know, or a bucket of vodka. Right. You know, I think, you know, No, no, no offense. Forgive me. I'm going to stereotype. I think the Russian lifespan is probably much less than the Italian lifespan. Right. Mm -hmm, Um, And mm -hmm. that's
0: probably the reason. Right. Um, And no offense uh, to the Russians. Yeah, (laughs) of course. None. And uh, related to other podcasts we've had on um, teenage, um, you know, just alcohol use, alcohol abuse, substance abuse. Um, When we were going to school, going to college, it was beer. Mm-hmm. And these days, um, it's fashionable to be taking pulls, handle pulls of vodka, of gin, of, and yeah. so right it, that goes to your system in a in a in a different way than a than a, a slower um, alcohol content beverage. Absolutely, I also think it has a different physiological effect on you too. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: if, if, you know, and I, 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 vodka. I mean, it, it makes few people happier and more friendly, you know, I mean, I mean it, it can get you, you know, angry quickly, you know, same mm-hmm. with like gin. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of these hard alcohols just have a different
0: impact on our bodies and mm-hmm. our minds. Yes. So what, I'm going back now. I, I'm, I'm preparing you for this question because it's not, <laughs> it's not the food, wine question. Uh-uh. Um, what would you say you learned the most from Mike,
1: my favorite thing about Mike, and, and I'm I'm so fortunate to have this as his greatest quality, you know, was his enormous capacity for love. You know, he, you know, he's as I mentioned, you know, sort of a larger than life figure. Um And he could have easily walked through life and been popular and successful and, and got all the, the things that come along, all the trappings that come along with being well-known and popular, for lack of a better term. But he's he was so interested in, in other people and, and mm-hmm. being kind to people. You know, he's, you know, again, he's massive. No one. Could ever threaten? He was a a martial arts fighter. No one, no one was any threat to him, right? You know, he didn't need to be nice to other people as a means of 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 popularity or safety. He, but was nice to people by choice, Mm. and I I love that about him. And he was also really good, you know, at picking out the person who needs the attention. You know, mm-hmm. we go to a bar and there's, there's some person there hanging out against the wall by themselves. He's over there in a minute, buying them a drink and putting his arm around them and, 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 and you know, engaging them. You know, he was like that as a kid, it, it, it developed in through adolescence as an adult. He was, he was a rock star. And I mm-hmm. love that, that fact that his empathy was so profound and shared.
0: Mm-hmm. And, um, another thing that resonated with me, uh, Mike, and I thought you hit this well. Um, Mike was dyslexic; he had a learning challenge, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I am. My fam- I have several p- my family is, mm-hmm. and um, you hit on some of his experiences just briefly. You know, like on some of those experiences of what it was like in school with a very successful family, um, siblings having that learning challenge. But what was so clear is I want to also put it through um, the dyslexic. Lens because we do a lot of um, we talk a lot about neurodiversity as well. Is Mike had so many strengths, man? He read a room. He read people. He was most emotionally in tune, right? I mean, it was like he seemed he had this like this relational gift, as you describe. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the the, the the dyslexia part of his life is also um, important to it's also, it's also important to recognize while talking about it. This was in the seventies when we didn't. Diagnosed dyslexia. I mean, forgive me for saying this. I'm, I'm probably gonna you know, get in trouble, but people just called him stupid. You know, yeah, you know his short you know, bus. I, you get you get on the, the little the little yellow yeah. bus. I mean, that's what had, that was his reputation. Mike, stupid because he, he can't read. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and he he didn't just hear that from the cruel kids, right? I mean, I remember, his mm-hmm. mother called him that once because she was so mad at him. You know, you because know, he was doing so poorly in school. You know? mm-hmm. and I knew it. It broke his heart. I mean, he he mm-hmm. he despised the fact that he not only had this label of not being smart when he knew he was smart, right? but also that he had to go to summer school every year. It's humiliating, right? Every summer, right? We'd, we'd be jerking around all day long in the summer. It was a huge neighborhood of kids, right? And Mike was always, every morning, he had to go back to St. Catharines, right? Yeah. And the, the humiliation, and not just because he didn't get to be with us, because he had to be in his least favorite place in the world, and that was a classroom. Right. He hated right. school, right? Sitting right. still. I'm sure he had ADHD. ADHD too. He couldn't sit yeah. still. Right? He was mm-hmm. tortured by it. Um. And 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 no one knew. Right? No mm-hmm. one knew. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I often think that so many people that become tacky term, but outcasts in society, mm-hmm. people who get mm-hmm. in trouble with the law, people who join gangs, etc. You know, do so because they don't feel comfortable at school, right? So they seek. Comfort elsewhere, or or, or brotherhood, or whatever elsewhere, and that originates with a learning difference of some sort, right? And and they don't—it's not seen, right? Um, Or diagnosed, you know, early enough or at all. And even if even if it is, the resources to 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 attend to it are just not there, you know. I mean, there's so many schools now where they specialize exclusively in learning differences. It's a beautiful thing, and you see Mm -hmm. how these kids can can find a way to success. It's it's such a great change in the way we live, right? You know, mm-hmm. and all these poor kids who didn't have that luxury. But even t- that said, right, it it, it still exists, in, you know, in a large, in, in a way today that, is, that, that that's, you know, a disadvantage. Um, uh, um, but in Mike's case, it was, he turned it into an advantage. Mm-hmm. It's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, it, you're just stressing the importance of identification and awareness and for parents and teachers to know what a learning disability is, or we call a learning difference, or now we call neurodiversity. And uh, it, when not detected and not supported, it has lifelong effects on one's identity. Um, It's it's the messages you get and how you feel.
1: I mean, the the self-esteem part. I mean, in fact, I I think if people were treating me, you
0: know, like they were treating
1: Mike as a kid, it would have been devastating. I I would have become either a delinquent or a wallflower. Right. Um, you know, and, and in fact, you know, I, I love the stories of people who, you know, become really successful in life and they say, you know, so-and-so had a learning disability growing up, right? And they figured their way around it, right? Mm-hmm. And then invented Apple, or whatever I, mean, I don't know if, if, they, if they, those guys, whatever. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, like there is a great right. success story. I think I think Elon Musk has a learned, but uh, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but there is also yes. there is the rest of us, you right? Know, the, the other ninety nine point yes. nine 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 percent of the world yes. who don't achieve that thing and have their story championed. But you know, Mike's case was a really great example of someone taking that mm-hmm. um, weakness, if, if you call it yes. that. I, I love the term difference because it is a difference. It's not even mm-hmm. a deficiency; it's a difference. Mm-hmm. Right? And figuring
0: out how th- they learn. Mm-hmm. And what to do with it? And it is a fact that there is a disproportionately high number of dyslexic entrepreneurs and inventors. It, it, it you know, the brain thinking differently comes up with different things. Yeah, so very Agreed. cool. You know, and yeah. in, in
1: the cases where the, the, they're able to do so, and as opposed if they had the resources around them, et cetera, et cetera. Right.
0: Absolutely. What have you taken away from the process of losing Mike and the grief? How has your life, um, how has it changed you and your life?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think about this a lot and I'd love to be able to find some sort of silver lining to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really just can't. And I, I think it's the part that you know, no matter what, no matter how I'd gone through this, you know, and, and, and I, I, I wish I could have done so more effectively mm-hmm. um, and with less pain for me and those around me. Um, I still don't know at the end of the day, you know, you know what I can look back and say, well, there's this at least, you know, yeah. you no, know, I mean, because I, I, I was just out with, with Mike's wife for dinner last Saturday, you know, and another friend of ours who'd lost two very close people to him. Um, and, and and like, you know, that, that ache doesn't. All right it's not it's not replaceable you know right. i mean someone said to me recently i was talking about this, they said life is for the living and i thought you know that that i i i kind of get that I and mean, that was of all the cliches or all the advice you get all the armchair advice you get that kind of resonated for me and I, I i i like to think that i'm i've gained something from this but mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. um perhaps but I, I can't identify it i mean, I'd do anything yeah. i yeah. do
0: anything to, to not have it be the yeah, for those listening who are grieving or have someone close to them grieving, what is the one thing you would suggest? I mean,
1: I I, I think we covered this earlier, and it, is, it it bears repeating. You know, I I think getting help. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. immediately recognizing the fact yeah. that you're heading for a boatload of of agony. Right? Yeah, um, and don't suck it up. Don't think you're going to work your way through it by yourself, right? Don't yeah. try and be tough. You know, you'll yeah. get help. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be a, a, a therapist. You know, but I think the group one you mentioned before is a really good idea. You know, I mean, that that idea there about the group thing is really what helped me um, write the book, and that that, that I, I think it will make this, you know, encourage people to do that. You know, you know, to recognize that. I mean, I, I I'd written an article. This book sort of was born out of an article I wrote for uh, Talkspace. Yep. about
0: I got it right the, here yeah you know, great art the loss
1: of Mike. yeah um, and i got I, I got a quite a few notes from people who read it afterwards saying, hey, I lost my buddy right I lost you know my you know this guy is like I met this guy like five years ago, and I'm still wiped out you know, or it's my yeah. college friend or you yeah. know and of course some childhood ones too, but like you know yeah. that that need to recognize that this is not like it's, it's, it's worthy of attention. You know, even if they're just your friend and not, no, not your spouse or Mm -hmm. parent or sibling or child, you know, um, it's up there. It's, it's, it's a big loss. Yeah.
0: Um, you just gave me a memory and also because of, um, Mike's, uh, occupation, or I should say occupations. Um, a friend of a close friend of mine from high school died about 10 years ago. And, um, we had lost touch in our in our later years and i flew down with another close friend of ours for the funeral and uh my friend was a police officer and his best friend and um neighbor a next-door neighbor shared defense, uh was a firefighter and when that firefighter and of course the similar there were hundreds of firefighters police officers um parades, all of that stuff. Um, when his best friend, the firefighter, uh, spoke, he stood there and he said, and I'll never forget this, I stand before you a broken man. Mm. And uh, I, yeah, it, I, fe- it, I felt it then, feel it now, and uh, maybe those are also some words, uh, what it feels like when you lose someone yeah, so close I, to
1: you. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out poetics by a fireman um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's 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 true and i i mike was a cop in real life law enforcement official so he had the Mm -hmm. his his um wake and funeral were attended to by law enforcement you know in in a big way you know um lots of bagpipes and Mm -hmm. etc but i made mike in the novella a firefighter because i felt like the, the the firefighters of new york city and mike was in you know the character of mike was you know, a participant in nine eleven rescue and then mm-hmm. and the recovery afterwards. You know, and the, his his illness, res, his death results from the, from the, 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 the toxicity that he was mm-hmm. absorbing. You know, for days upon end. Um, probably also with some trauma. Um, right. and you know, I really wanted to pay tribute to you know firemen because I know they're pretty good, right, at at, at, at speaking about the brotherhood they share with their with their fellow their fellow ladderman. Um. Mm-hmm. But, come on, I mean these are firemen, right,, yeah. you know, and you know they 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 certainly do the pageantry well with the bagpipes, and they show up, you know there's thousands of them at these funerals or hundreds of them there. they come and they have wreaths and photos and but you know i i, I don't think they're getting counseling mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you know I, I don't think I don't think eating chili in right. the fire station is, is counts right. you know they right. they're sitting around together, but I really wanted to pay make raise awareness about the firefighters <laughs> of New York City because yeah. they did
0: suffer such loss um yeah. on that day and the days after, yeah. And uh, they have been heroes in uh, California and in the uh, in our uh, forests. Of um, it, just absolute absolutely, heroes. yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it, it's it's it's, yeah. it's a it's an amazing profession. And in my next life, I'm going to either be a cop or a fireman <laughs> <laughs> or a
0: bartender. <laughs> <laughs> I I could see a few of those happen. <laughs> um, all right, we're about to, we're about to go the parent footprint moment question, but I have to share this. Um, this meme, something you said about, uh, you know, could we just get educated about adulthood matters, like, um, you know, about getting married and about um, marriage and about parenting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so here's a meme I'll, I'll share that she sent me yesterday. Uh, here it says, uh, and this is from Dad Man Walking, which I think is a funny name. Uh, <laughs> if you're struggling with your toddlers now, don't worry. It changes. Not for the good, though. It actually gets worse, way worse, like horrifying. I hope this helps you. <laughs> I love it. That's great.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's yeah, parenting is in any circumstance. Yes, is, is is immensely complicated, and, and yes. I, I wish there was more sort of yes. recognition of that. That that think- me
0: might do it all. Yeah, and I think that we, uh, there's a reason we don't really know the full picture because that might uh, prevent some things. It's challenging. I agree. Yeah. I think there'd be a, yeah. a, a
1: child crisis, like a population yeah. <laughs> crisis if, we, if everybody knew the truth. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, and for those of you who are expecting, it's an amazing, amazing adventure. Yes, okay. you're going to be
1: the best mom and dad.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, parent footprint moment question, Andrew. All right. Tell us about a time... That you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or an awareness of your parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child, your life, and those you love?
1: Yeah, that was an easy one for me to, to come up with an answer to because I, um, a story I tell from my childhood is, is that, you know, and I mentioned my mother a few times before. She was a fabulous woman, just a very dynamic, lovely classy, fun woman, you know, and, and, and so much of my personality is really derived from her. Um, I, I look just like her. Um, I, but I remember as a kid, you know, she loved me, you know, so much. And she used to always like, tell me that she loved me, but she used to also like do so in a way where she'd take me and squeeze me into her and say, I'm going to put you in the freezer. So you never grow up. Can I do hmm. that? Can I do that, Andy? And she'd always say that to me. And I, I didn't think of it as a, as a threat, of course. Like, oh my God, you know, you know, someone might look at that now and be like, "That's a threat of violence." You know, she was, <laughs> she was, she was explaining that 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 she loved me so much, she didn't want me to, to get any older. You know, she always wanted to be her little boy. You know, and and I, you know, knowing that as a little boy, that you mean so much to someone in your life, especially someone who's so close to you, I, it's very empowering. You know, and yeah. and and I, I walk through life. With great confidence. Right? All this other stuff aside about my about my breakdown. Um, no, but like I've I've lived my life with with, mm-hmm. with great confidence and, and have you know, I, I don't fear things. I don't have anxiety about things, you know. I, I I I am courageous as a person and it's benefited me immensely, you know, in my endeavors, you know, my changing of careers the way I've lived my life. There's everything, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, and I I really think and I've always thought that that was rooted in in my mother's open and often, you know, acclamation of her love for me.
0: Unconditional and unyielding love. Yeah. That you knew, that you felt, that was expressed.
1: Yeah. So there was, uh, what I I like about that um, anecdote is that it's both showing and telling. Yeah. She's telling me something with her words, but she's also like hugging me and, and, and doing yeah. so in a way that's so dynamic, right? You know, and she's like, I'm going to put you in the freezer. You know, it was, it was just like, you know, it, 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 was, it was
0: moving. Thank you. You're welcome. So you got a lot of, you got a lot of works out there. Uh, you've got a lot of irons in the fire and um, you're doing a lot with food and wine. Uh, and enjoying yep. yourself so tell everyone where they can uh follow your expeditions sure um
1: i i have a website obviously it, it's, it's Andrew c-o-t-t-o dot com and on it you can link to my novels um and my articles um and a lot of the articles are are are, are a, a food based with recipes <laughs> um i have a i'm on Social media, my Instagram page is probably the, the place I'm the most active because I love the idea of using photographs to tell stories, um, but I also post my articles up there I mean, I'm at, at Andrew Cotto. Um, my YouTube channel has my cooking show, which is called Dinner with Andrew. I was thinking that before, and you said this is this is the parent trap with uh, Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. I have to do the same thing. I say this is this is dinner with Andrew. I'm yeah. Andrew. Um, Doesn't it know, seem a bit repetitive? I know, but what are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah I, gonna say, know, this, I know. This, I know. This, I know. You're gonna yeah, say yeah. this is Dr. Dan. Who's Dr. Dan? <laughs> right? I mean, I, I think you can assume you're Dr. Dan. <laughs> yeah. right. But well, you might not be, right? Uh, I, that's um, funny. so. I have, yeah. I have this there's this fledgling cooking show on there with my buddy uh, Daniel Paterna, the creative director here in New York, my neighbor and friend, and we, we I do Italian cooking demonstrations. Is, um, with loss of humor. I mean, hmm. last time I dropped a, a frittata on the floor, you know, trying to flip it. I was, you know. So yeah. there's all that, um, and yeah, I mean, I love hearing from readers. Um, I expect I'll hear from a lot of readers when when Pasta Mike comes out. So I'm happy yes. to sort of you know yeah. chat and and and, yeah. and and you know share if I can and be of help. I think the book itself does the work that, it that does, I intended to do, but I, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people and go to book clubs. And, you know, you know, I love, I'm, I'm probably the most extroverted writer I've ever met. <laughs> Man, I love,
0: I love people. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Mike. Just like Mike. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing uh, yourself with us and uh, for writing Pasta Mike. It, uh, it, it had an impact on me and I'll tell everyone that um, y- it's, you quickly are part of the story. Um, and it's one of those things that you want to know the whole story, and uh, you just keep reading until you do. Thank you. So, everyone, that concludes our meaningful episode for today. We appreciate your support of this show with your five star reviews. Please send this episode to anyone who you think will benefit. And um, we are always enjoying people becoming part of our community. Do your best to be that person that you would like your child to become. Model it, show it, do it, speak it. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummer Man, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want more of Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, check out our bonus episode.